stand and start this morning service with the time of worship, with the time of prayer and fellowship. It's good to be in God's house again this morning. Amen. The best way to start your day. So let's uh, worship the Lord. Let's pray together and have a, a great time. Ne bucurăm să fim din nou în prezența Domnului. Ne bucurăm să fim din nou împreună. Psalmistul spune 22:1. Mă bucur că mi se zice: Haidem la casa lui Dumnezeu, la casa Domnului. Această afirmație în perioada pe care noi o parcurgem acum are o valoare inestimabilă. Când 
nu mai avem dreptul să ne întâlnim, că nu mai putem, că în multe locuri este interzisă adunarea celor sfinți, această afirmație are o valoare inestimabilă. Când auzi pe cineva spunându-ți, haidem la casa Domnului, răscolește în tine și se produc niște emoții frumoase, intense. Vrei să fii împreună cu cei sfinți, să te închini înaintea lui Dumnezeu. Și sper că în dimineața aceasta, când auziți lucrul acesta, mă bucur când mi se zicem, haidem la casa Domnului, să trezească în fiecare dintre noi niște sentimente puternice. Dorință de a fi în prezența lui Dumnezeu, dorință de a fi în casa lui Dumnezeu, dorință de a-L lăuda pe Cel care merită să fie lăudat. Dacă vă veți uita, începând de la, verset, de la psalmul 120 până la psalmul 134, vă uitați la titlul, spune o cântare a treptelor. Și când citiți acest psalm, veți vedea că este vorba despre poporul Israel, care a fost în robia Babilonului. Și ceea ce, ceea ce le-a dat speranță, ceea ce a ținut în viață, a fost tocmai această dorință de a fi în Ierusalim, în templul lui Dumnezeu și a aduce jertfe și laudă lui Dumnezeu. Ceea ce ne ține pe noi în viață, ceea ce ne dă nouă putere, credință, speranță. Este tocmai, tocmai această dorință de a fi în prezența lui Dumnezeu, de a-L căuta pe Dumnezeu, de a fi la părtășie cu biserica Lui. Acestea sunt lucruri care ne dau putere să mergem mai departe. Aș vrea să venim în această rugăciune și să-i mulțumim lui Dumnezeu pentru această oportunitate. Dacă până acum a fost ceva normal, până acum câteva luni, acum nu mai este ceva normal. A te întâlni cu frații tăi este o... o, 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 o Un moment binecuvântat, un moment unic, pentru că nu știi ce se va întâmpla săptămâna viitoare. Nu știm dacă duminica viitoare ne vor mai lăsa. Nu știm ceea ce ne aduce viitorul. De aceea vrem să profităm de fiecare moment care îl petrecem împreună, ca să-L lăudăm pe Dumnezeu, ca să ridicăm glasul nostru către Dumnezeu și Lui să-I aducem laudă și cinste. Haideți să ne rugăm! Doamne, venim
指ら倒し Presence at the eye, my transformer. Covering to the evening, the în care poetul ne îndeamnă să ne rugăm Domnului și să chemăm ca El să ne vorbească în dimineața aceasta 
deschizându-ne inima, gândul nostru, să auzim vocea lui Dumnezeu. Aș vrea să venim înaintea Domnului în această rugăciune de cauze, această rugăciune în care să-i spunem Domnului bucuriile noastre și întristările noastre. Să-i spunem Domnului durerile de care avem parte, bucuriile de care avem parte și apoi de asemenea să ne aruncăm în brațele Domnului cu absolut toate problemele cu care ne confruntăm. Și atunci când Domnul Iisus Hristos vorbea în ceea ce este cunoscut ca și predica de pe munte, din Matei, capitolul 5 până la capitolul 7, spunea Domnul Iisus Hristos următoarele cuvinte, oamenilor care nu erau confruntați cu pandemia cu care noi suntem confruntați, nu erau confruntați cu tehnologia care nu știu dacă ne ajută sau ne încurcă mai mult, nu erau confruntați cu această comunicare internațională așa cum noi avem parte de ea, dar le spunea lor și ne spunea și nouă, cereți și vi se va da, căutați și veți găsi, bateți și vi se va deschide, căci oricine cere capătă, Cine caută găsește și celui ce bate îi se deschide. Și în dimineața aceasta problemele care ne apasă personal, nevoile pe care le avem în vremurile acestea, am vrea să le aducem înaintea lui Dumnezeu. Dumnezeul nostru este un Dumnezeu care merită închinarea, care merită dedicația noastră, care merită să-L căutăm. A cere câteodată nu este foarte confortabil. Oamenilor nu le place ca să ceară. Să recunoască că nu au și că depinde alții și mai ales în relație cu Dumnezeu. Dar noi suntem printre aceia care venim înaintea Domnului și cerem pentru că știm că Dumnezeul nostru ne ascultă. Știm că Dumnezeu a intervenit de atâtea ori și că absolut nimic nu este imposibil pentru Dumnezeul nostru, ci El poate, dacă trebuie să liniștească furtuna, să o facă. Dacă trebuie să vindece, El poate. Dacă trebuie să învieze pe cel mort, El poate. Dacă poate, dacă vrem și dorim ca binecuvântarea Lui să fie peste viața noastră, haideți în dimineața aceasta să căutăm împărăția Lui Dumnezeu și neprihănirea Lui. Să Cerem cu încredere, să căutăm cu încredere și de asemenea, stimații mei, să batem la ușa îndurării Lui Dumnezeu. De aceea vom veni înaintea Domnului cu cauzele pe care le avem, cu situațiile care ne apasă și aș vrea să adaug din nou în dimineața aceasta la rugăciunea de cauză câteva familii, și persoane care să le aducem înaintea Domnului să ne rugăm, apoi continuând cu cele care le vom aminti și apoi sigur le vom prezenta pe ale dumneavoastră care poate nu sunt cunoscute și vrem să le aducem înaintea Domnului. Pentru familia Chira, fratele Gheorghe și sora Mimi, familia Chiriac, fratele Mihai și sora Magdalena, Lidia Copaciu și familia 
Am vrea să-i aducem înaintea Domnului Șas și în cursul săptămânii în care am intrat, pentru toate nevoile care le, am, le au, zicem Dumnezeu să îi binecuvinteze. Apoi să venim înaintea Domnului și să ne rugăm pentru tulburările care au loc în diferitele state și orașe, oameni care ard, le ard casele, le distrugă businessurile. Să ne rugăm Domnului pentru situația focurilor de aici din California în continuare, pentru cei care au fost afectați, pentru familii care și-au pierdut tot, pentru cei care nu au cum să vadă viitorul decât întunecos, Dumnezeu este acela care îi poate mângăia, printre ei sunt siguri că sunt și frazdai noștri, cei care și-au pierdut toate bunurile lor. Să aducem înaintea Domnului întâlnirea din seara aceasta, Open Forum, o un timp de părtășie și de educație personală pentru familiile tinere și în mod deosebit pentru toți cei interesați de viitorul și de situația noastră aici în California. Aducem înaintea Domnului de asemenea și pe sora Dragoș Maria, care cere să ne rugăm pentru ea datorită unei răceli care persistă, sora Gena Geta Antone, cu bronșita de care, și cu care se luptă. Să ne rugăm de asemenea și pentru fratele Arpimisti din Los Angeles, care este în recuperare după COVID, Dragoș Salar, Salar, fratele a avut un stroc și este în revenire, fratele Paul Moldovan din Vancouver, Washington, care de asemenea este în revenire după COVID-19, iar apoi fratele Nelu Brie ne-a anunțat marți sau miercurea trecută să ne rugăm pentru familia Tirla, care amândoi au fost la spital internați. Fratele Iosif este încă, încă în spital, dar ieri sau ieri, sora Sanda, 59 de ani, soția dânsului, a fost chemată de Domnul la cele veșnice. Aș vrea să ne rugăm pentru fratele Iosif, pentru familie, Dumnezeu din cer să-L mângăie și binecuvântarea Lui Dumnezeu să fie peste viețile lor. Ne rugăm pentru proiectul de construcție, aducem înaintea Domnului familiile fraților mai în vârstă, fratele Mihai Chiriac, de asemenea, a avut o intervenție la picior, ne rugăm ca Domnul să-i dea vindecare, Ne bucurăm să vedem pe sora Lidia, ieri la biserică, aducem familia Lăpuște, pe toți ceilalți seniori ai bisericii, îi aducem înaintea lui Dumnezeu. Și așa cum spunea Domnul Iisus, că oricine cere capătă, cine caută găsește și celui ce bate îi se deschide. Vreau să te întreb în dimineața aceasta, te-a ascultat Domnul vreodată? De aceea venim cu aceste cauze înaintea Domnului, pentru că El poate și vrea să ne asculte. Haideți să ne ridicăm cu toți în picioare și dacă mai sunt și alte cauze de care nu suntem conștienți de la oră la oră, pot să apară situații noi, probleme, dificultăți cu care să ne confruntăm în partea surorilor, nu numai de o parte, surorile acum sunt peste tot, unde sunteți Dumnezeu să vă asculte ruga. 
partea fraților, fie cu voce tare, fie cu ridicare de mână. Mama soacră am uitat să anunț câteva zile în urmă a avut ministru, a fost în spital două zile și acum e acasă. Și ne rugăm ca Domnul să o binecuvinteze cu sănătate. Și mai am un nepot în România, îl cheamă Cristi Balaș. Nu se oxigenează creierul și dintr-o dată pe bicicletă, oriunde ar fi ca de jos câteva secunde și te să lovește, te să... Ați rugat ca Domnul să-i atingă și el să dea sănătate. Cu încredere că cel care ne-a ascultat și altă dată ia minte la rugăciunile noastre. Aș vrea să ne rugăm și pentru celelalte biserici din California. Nu mă refer numai la bisericile române. Bisericile române sunt mai îndrăznețe, se adună. Sunt biserici care de luni și luni de zile nu mai au nicio părtășie live împreună. Să ne rugăm ca Dumnezeu să aducă eliberare pentru California și pentru Statele Unite. Sunt biserici românești care se adună pe grupe pentru ca să poată să-i acomodeze pe toți. Aș vrea să ne rugăm pentru cei care poate și-au pierdut încrederea în Dumnezeu în vremuri ca acestea, care și-au pierdut nădejdea că cel care poate să mântuie, să dea viață și sănătate, a uitat să o facă, poate zic unii, dar noi aș vrea să ne rugăm ca Domnul pe toți El să ne întărească. Așa cum suntem cu toții, ne rugăm Domnului, Tatăl nostru. Slavă-ți-e, Domnul meu, Dumnezeule care ești vrenit de laudă, Cărescu glorios, care ai toată puterea în cer și pe pământ, mă rog 
slavă ție, Doamne! Glorie ție, Doamne! Laudă ție, Doamne! Primește-ne Tu și iluminează-ne inima și viața! Orul mixt se pregătește să laude numele. Să ascultăm primul mesaj al dimineții în limba română prin fratele Dariu Mois. Vă invit să vă reaștept.
să iubesc Și cei mai mult se îngrozelesc Frate, nu te înspăimânta Stai pe tur și ascultă numai vocea sa Sunt cu tine, sunt cu tine Nu te teme orice-ar fi Copilul meu, sunt cu tine, sunt cu tine, eu sunt viu și atot puternic Dumnezeu. Când mai caz și pari învins, când spaima morții te-a cuprins, șoapta lui Spune așa, fiul meu, viața ta în mâna mea. Sunt cu tine, sunt cu tine, nu te teme orice-ar fi, copilul meu. Sunt cu tine, sunt cu tine, eu sunt viu și atot puternic Dumnezeu. Bun lucrător În via sa Și-a lăsat o gor Ca David Învingător Și numele Domnului Biruitor Sunt cu tine Sunt cu tine Nu te teme Orice-ar fi Copilul meu, sunt cu tine, sunt cu tine, eu sunt viu și atot puternic Dumnezeu. Eu sunt cer neprihănit, ce pentru tine o am murit, am pus preț. Și te-am salvat prăgucea de la Gogota Doar cu mine, doar cu mine Viața ta aici poate fi un vis Doar cu mine, doar cu mine Vei ajunge Ceresc-ul paradis Sunt cu tine Sunt cu tine Nu te teme orice-ar fi Copilul meu Sunt cu tine Sunt cu tine Eu sunt fiu și atât puternic Dumnezeu Amin și Domnul să ne ajute să stăm lângă El
glory to God. Um, if you have, dacă aveți Biblia dumneavoastră, uh, haideți să deschidem la 1 Corinteni, capitolul 2, um, și voi reveni la acest text, deci 1 Corinteni, capitolul 2. Um, de când eram mic, îmi amintesc că uh, am fost fascinat de povestea lui Solomon, uh, cum el a cerut uh, înțelepciune de la Dumnezeu, în loc de averi, putere, în fine, era împărat, putea cere foarte multe alte lucruri. Și am fost fascinat ca și copil, deși, deci toți copiii sunt fascinați de unele povești. Și am început să mă rog de mic, știu, mi-am că mă rugam și dimineața și seara, că mă rugam să-mi dea Dumnezeu înțelepciune ca la Solomon. În dimineața aceasta aș vrea să ne uităm la înțelepciunea, una mai bună ca lui Solomon, că săracul Solomon nu a ajuns unde trebuie, probabil că s-a pocăit la sfârșitul vieții, dar în fine a avut aventuri și deși a avut înțelepciunea. În dimineața aceasta vom vorbi despre înțelepciunea care vine prin Duhul, așa se intitulează și textul, și care vine în urmarea ascultării îndemnurilor Duhului. Deci de la versetul 6, în capitolul 2, 1 Corinteni spune, și voi citi în noua traducere, Totuși, ceea ce vorbim noi printre cei maturi este o înțelepciune, dar nu a viacului acestuia și nici a conducătorilor acestui viac, cărora li se va pune capăt, ci vorbim despre înțelepciunea tainică a lui Dumnezeu care a fost ascunsă și pe care Dumnezeu a destinat-o înainte de a fi viacurile pentru gloria noastră. Nici unul dintre conducătorii acestei lumi n-a înțeles-o, pentru că, dacă ar fi înțeles-o, nu l-ar fi răstignit pe Domnul Slavei. Totuși, Așa cum este scris, nici un ochi n-a văzut, nici ureche n-a auzit și la mintea omului nu s-a suit ceea ce a pregătit Dumnezeu pentru cei care îl iubesc. Dumnezeu însă ne-a descoperit aceste lucruri prin Duhul, pentru că Duhul cercetează totul, chiar și lucrurile adâncele lui Dumnezeu. Cine dintre oameni cunoaște lucrurile omului decât nu, decât nu Duhul omului care este în el? Tot astfel... Nimeni nu cunoaște lucrurile lui Dumnezeu în afară de Duhul lui Dumnezeu. Însă noi n-am primit Duhul lumii, ci Duhul de la Dumnezeu, ca să putem cunoaște lucrurile pe care ne, ne-au fost oferite prin har, pe care Dumne- uh, au fost oferite prin har de către Dumnezeu. Nu, nu vorbim prin cuvinte înțeles, învățate prin înțelepciunea omenească, ci prin învățături de la Duhul, întrebuințând lucrurile duhovnicești pentru, ce, pentru cei duhovnicești. Dar omul firesc nu primește lucrările Duhului lui Dumnezeu, căci pentru el sunt o nebunie și nu le, înțelege, nu le poate înțelege pentru că trebuie judecate duhovnicește. Cel duhovnicesc însă judecă toate lucrurile, iar el nu poate fi de judecat de nimeni. Căci cine a cunoscut gândul Domnului ca să-l poată sfătui? Noi însă avem gândul lui Hristos. Amin. Um, și aș vrea ca să ne uităm la aspectele sau atributele acestei înțelepciuni care vine prin Duhul și să lăsăm ca Duhul Sfânt să ne vorbească și să le aplicăm și în viețile noastre și e bine dacă ne mustră Duhul Sfânt în dimineața aceasta, așa că nu vă împietriți inimile și să lăsăm ca El să lucreze, cum spune și cântarea, cum a fost și în lucrarea pe care tot Duhul Sfânt a dat-o în dimineața aceasta. În primul rând, înțelepciunea care vine de la Duhul, asta o să fie un, un fapt obvious, deci înțelepciunea aceasta despre care Pavel ne vorbește nu poate fi atinsă decât în urmarea primirii Duhului Sfânt. Nu am să intru în detalii despre ce înseamnă primirea Duhului Sfânt. Clar, nu vorbește despre botezul Duhului Sfânt aici. Versetul 10 ne spune că Duhul Sfânt cunoaște lucrurile ascunsele lui Dumnezeu și tot prin Duhul Sfânt, El, Duhul Sfânt, ne descoperă aceste lucruri. Deci vedem că lucrarea este totală a Duhului Sfânt. Duhul Sfânt cercetează lucrurile lui Dumnezeu prin Duhul Sfânt pe care l-am primit tot Duhul Sfânt ne face de cunoscut aceste lucruri. Dacă 
cineva subestimează lucrarea sau autoritatea sau necesitatea Duhului Sfânt în viața personală sau a bisericii, această persoană, putem spune că are lipsă de înțelepciunea despre care Pavel ne vorbește aici. Înțelepciunea care vine de la Duhul. Probabil că are, omul poate să aibă o înțelepciune firească, o înțelepciune care se poate uh, dobândi prin învățare, prin școală, însă această învățătură nu este învățătura despre care Pavel ne vorbește aici, o învățătură uh, duhovnicească, care să judece lucrurile duhovnice și care să ne descoperă lucrurile lui Dumnezeu, nu lucrurile obișnuite. În al doilea rând, observăm că această înțelepciune îi însoțește pe cei care sunt maturi spirituali. Chiar de la început, dacă ne uităm la capitolul, la versetul 6, Pavel spune, totuși ceea ce vorbim noi printre cei maturi este o înțelepciune, dar nu avea cul acestuia. Înțelepciunea aceasta spirituală Uh, îi însoțește, să fim atenți la uh, cuvântul acesta, îi însoțește pe cei care sunt maturi spiritual. Uh, ce poate să înseamnă acest lucru? Uh, ne putem gândi ce înseamnă să fii matur fizic. Un om matur, cum devine un om matur fizic? Sunt mai mulți factori, o să menționez trei, probabil că sunt mai mulți, uh, dar unul dintre factori acesta este timpul. Devii matur cu timpul. Un copil de trei ani nu poate să fie matur. Dacă aștepți că un copil de trei ani să fie matur, Probabil trebuie să mai înveți. Apoi, pe lângă timp, deci ca un, fel, un alt factor, este anturajul omului. Dacă un om petrece timpul cu oamenii care nu sunt maturi, nu are cum să fie matur. Vă spun asta din experiență, nu? că predau la liceu. Sunt înconjurat de copii care nu sunt maturi. Nu? Dacă, câteodată și noi, ca profesori, trebuie să ne coborâm la nivelul lor, ca să ne înțeleagă. Deci, dacă totdeauna petreci timpul cu oameni care nu sunt maturi, nu ai cum să fii matur. E imposibil. Și chiar, chiar dacă trece timpul. Și probabil că cunoașteți oameni care sunt, să zicem, care au trecut timpul prin viața lor și sunt mai în vârstă, dar nu sunt maturi. Și în unele aspecte toți mai ne putem maturiza, deci nu e vorbă. Iar apoi, în afară de, deci pe lângă timp și pe lângă anturaj, Urmează și partea practică, aplicarea acestor norme sau valori pozitive în viața personală. Asta e în punct de vedere firesc, deci nu vorbim duhovnicesc. Pentru un om ca să fie matur, nu-i de ajuns doar să treacă timpul, doar să aibă prieteni maturi, ci trebuie ca el să aplice lucrurile care le vede la prietenii lui, care le învață în timp și, să, și atunci va fi considerat un om matur. La fel, sau sinonim, ar putea, vom putea spune și despre omul duhovnicesc. Devii mai spiritual cu timpul. Treci prin încercări, înveți. Devii mai spiritual petrecând timp în Cuvântul lui Dumnezeu, că știm că Cuvântul lui Dumnezeu ne sfințește. Și, deci acesta este anturajul și petrecând timp cu oameni care sunt duhovnicești. Și apoi... La fel ca și omul firesc, trebuie ca normele spirituale să le aplicăm în viața noastră. Cum ne spune și Iacov, nu-i destul să te uiți în oglindă și să vezi că ai ceva deficiență și să mergi înainte. Trebuie schimbate, trebuie făcută o modificare, trebuie pocăință. Deci, această, vedem că această înțelepciune spirituală este pentru cei maturi. Și maturitatea aceasta, fiecare, am adresat doar trei aspecte, probabil că mai sunt mai multe care putem să le descoperim sau să le discutăm, însă fiecare putem să ne mai, 
să mai creștem în aceste aspecte. Probabil unii trebuie să mai îmbătrânim, probabil alții trebuie să mai citim cuvântul și probabil mulți dintre noi trebuie să aplicăm ceea ce învățăm. Iar dacă, mai ales acum în timpul acesta, cu, sunt multe îngrijorări și probabil că nu sunt singuri și mulți oameni s-au întrebat oare Dumnezeu e în control, probabil că v-ați întrebat nu dacă Dumnezeu e în control, ci în ce mod e Dumnezeu în control. Pentru că nu suntem chiar așa de neînțelepți să ne gândim că Dumnezeu a pierdut controlul, dar ne gândim în ce mod este Dumnezeu în, în controlul lucrurilor când ne uităm la o economie, la, la virusul acesta, la riots. Dar aș vrea să ne concentrăm atenția la lucrurile acestea, că sunt și alte lucruri personale pe care numai Duhul omului le știe, după cum se scrie și aici. Și am vrea să cunoaștem care e planul lui Dumnezeu cu privire la familia noastră, cu privire la multe alte aspecte a vieții, în afară de cele majore care sunt în mass media și avem nevoie de această înțelepciune. Însă vedem că pentru a avea acces, pentru a fi însoțiți de această înțelepciune, trebuie să fim maturi și aș vrea ca Dumnezeu să ne dea putere să ne maturizăm ca să putem să avem acces la această înțelepciune care vine de la Duhul, prin Duhul. În al treilea rând, înțelepciunea care vine prin, în urma primirii Duhului Sfânt este spre gloria noastră. Așa spune aici să citesc capitolul 6 mai sus, versetul 7, ci vorbim despre înțelepciunea tainică a Lui Dumnezeu, care a fost ascunsă și pe care Dumnezeu a destinat-o înainte de a fi viacurile pentru gloria noastră. Deci înțelepciunea aceasta care vine prin Duhul este spre gloria noastră. Ce înseamnă lucrul acesta în engleză? Dacă citim acest verset, e confusing, pentru că în engleză cuvântul glorie... Cuvântul glorie are două înțelesuri și uh, trebuie să fim atenți. Dar aici nu e vorba despre slava lui Dumnezeu. Dumnezeu nu își împarte slava cu nimeni. În, engleză avem, în românește avem două cuvinte, slavă și glorie. Slava lui Dumnezeu nu se poate atribui unui om sau unui chip, așa spune în Isaia. Uh, deci aici nu vorbește despre slavă, ci vorbește despre glorie. Și uh, ce vrea oare să spună Pavel, sigur nu se referă la ceva pământesc. Pentru că Pavel nu are nu e caracterul lui și n-a fost niciodată intenția lui să glorifice omul în, în lumea aceasta. Când Pavel spune că înțelepciunea aceasta care vine prin Duhul este spre gloria noastră, el se referă despre, la faptul că această înțelepciune este pentru noi ca să putem să ajungem să fim glorificați sau să fim proslăviți cu El, adică cu Isus, la venirea Lui și în Romani 8 cu 17 tot Pavel ne scrie iar dacă suntem copii, suntem moștenitori, moștenitori ai Lui Dumnezeu, moștenitori împreună cu Hristos, dacă suferim într-adevăr împreună cu El, ca să fim proslăviți sau glorificați împreună cu El. Deci gloria aceasta pe care înțelepciunea ne-o aduce nu este o glorie temporară aici pe pământ ca oamenii să se uită la noi și să spună bravo, ce deștept ești tu. Nu e vorba despre această glorie, ci este vorba despre o glorie care se va revela sau Dumnezeu o va face cunoscută oamenilor atunci când va veni în slavă și ne va glorifica trupurile noastre și vom fi cu el. Multe altele s-ar putea spune despre această înțelepciune. Am mai notat aici câteva. Este înțelepciunea care vine prin Duhul, este o nebunie pentru omul firesc. Omul firesc nu are cum să înțeleagă lucrurile acestea. Când moare un om și noi mulțumim lui Dumnezeu pentru că a trăit o viață bună și știm că o mers în cer dacă știm lucrul acesta, dacă suntem conștienți sau în fine, oamenii din lume... Pentru ei asta e o nebunie. De unde știi, cum știi, n-au înțeles. Pentru că ei, pentru ei credința în Isus Hristos 
este la fel de nebunie, o nebunie pentru ei. Apoi, înțelepciunea care vine prin Duhul ne descoperă lucruri care nu se pot vedea, auzi sau concepe. Deci, n-ai cum să explici unui om ceea ce descoperă Duhul și dacă le explici, ei asociază asta cu vrăjitorii. Asta mi s-a întâmplat și mie și probabil și dumneavoastră. Apoi ea ne, discerne, ne dă discernerea lui Dumnezeu, în concluzie, un alt aspect al înțelepciunii lui, care vine prin Duhul. Ne dă discernerea lui Dumnezeu și știm, doar gândiți-vă la un exemplu practic din viața lui Iisus Hristos când l-au întrebat, trebuie să plătim taxe. Ei, în mod logic, firesc, Iisus era în șahmat. Nu mai putea să răspundă. Dacă spunea da... Era prins, dacă spunea nu, era prins. Însă înțelepciunea lui Dumnezeu și discernerea lui Dumnezeu, care a fost peste el, prin faptul că era fost Dumnezeu, l-a ajutat și l-a scos din această încurcătură pe care ei au încercat să îl pună pe Isus. Deci avem nevoie de această discernere pentru ca să putem traversa toate în fine, circunstanțele vieții noastre. În dimineața aceasta aș vrea să mă opresc la acestea trei și aș vrea ca Dumnezeu să ne ajute să conștientizăm faptul că, dacă nu am conștientizat faptul acesta, că doar prin Duhul Sfânt putem primi revelații despre lucrările ascunse ale Lui Dumnezeu. Degeaba, putem, degeaba încercăm noi să născocim unele lucruri a, pentru că se vor, se, vor la, se vor evidenția, vor ieși în evidență atunci când le vom spune oamenii, vor, își vor da seama că lucrurile acestea sunt gândite de noi și nu sunt lucruri... A, care vin de la Duhul. Apoi Dumnezeu să ne dea, să ne ajute să luăm lotările noi, să ne maturizăm pentru a fi vrednici să fim, să fim însoțiți de această înțelepciune de la Dumnezeu. Și în ultimul timp, Dumnezeu să ne dea înțelepciune care vine prin Duhul Sfânt pentru a trăi o viață vrednică de a fi glorificat după cum spune cuvântul Lui. Amin. Haideți să stăm înaintea Domnului și Evanghelia după Ioan, capitolul 13, Fratele Adi Budean va citi în limba engleză. Haideți să urmărim cuvântul Domnului. Good evening, church. John, chapter 13. I'm going to be reading in ESV. And it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his, his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, I, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent, who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to, I say to you, whoever receives the one, the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was, tru was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, who Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he who, whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So some thought, that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, uh, buy what we need for the feast or that we should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will, seek, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen. În timpul unei cântări comune ne închinăm Domnului cu darurile de bunăvoie, vă invit să ocupați locurile, frații responsabili să ne ajute.
When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart And I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made When it's all about you pentru săptămâna în care am intrat și de viitor. Ajutorul Domnului în, după masa aceasta, la ora 6, o să avem un open forum pentru toți cei care sunt interesați de situațiile cu care noi ne confruntăm aici în California, dar în mod deosebit pentru familiile tinere care au copii, și pentru toți cei care sunt interesați, de la 18 ani în sus, puteți să veniți să participați 
la această întâlnire specială. Nu e o slujbă divină, e o întâlnire specială, un open forum în care vrem să ne informăm, să ne pregătim în măsura în care depinde de noi. De aceea vă rugăm să țineți cont de lucrul acesta. Child care will be provided pentru cei care au nevoie și cu ajutorul Domnului pentru cei care doresc. Deci de seară la ora 6 sunteți invitați să fiți aici. Apoi de asemenea, încă o dată pentru cei care vor ca să încheie legământ cu Domnul prin botezul în apă, avem cererile de botez, vrem să ne organizăm pentru aceasta și facă Domnul cât mai multe suflete să fie gata să-L urmeze pe El. Aceasta e dorința lui Dumnezeu, cred că prin chemarea deosebită și strigătul din partea Domnului prin tot ce se întâmplă, să ne pregătim minimile să-L slujim. Vom continua cu o întâlnire pe duminică, la ora 10 dimineața, și sigur că prin ajutorul Domnului, miercuri seara, timp de părtășie în rugăciune și de apropiere de Domnul, Paralel, Youth Choir și Kids Choir au repetiție. Joi, Corul Mix va avea o repetiție. Corul Mix are tot a doua săptămână repetiție. Și pentru că, prin ajutorul Domnului, duminica viitoare va fi 6 septembrie. Prima duminică a lunii septembrie am vrea să ne pregătim pentru părtășia specială pe care putem să avem la cina Domnului. Vă rugăm să țineți cont de lucrul acesta și în atenția dumneavoastră, de asemenea, școala duminicală, stimați părinți, își va relua activitatea în 13 septembrie, începând cu ora 10 dimineața. Deci 13 septembrie, în două săptămâni, cu, a, începând cu ora 10 dimineața. Aș vrea să spunem un welcome back home fratelui Sam și sorei Becky Toderean. Welcome Sam home. God bless you. Yeah, California is always home for you. And we're so happy to have you with us back home. Permiteți-mi să vă aduc saluturile fraților din... Romanian în teritorial board, unde am petrecut vineri, joi am plecat spre Chicago, ieri am întors, vineri am participat multe ore la ședință, din partea fratelui administrative bishop, fratele Câmpian Florin și a celorlalți, dorind în toată inima ca Dumnezeu și pe ei și pe noi să ne binecuvinteze. Continuăm a lăuda numele Domnului prin corul mixt, Kids Choir și apoi Worship Team, iar după aceste puncte vom asculta mesajul Domnului prin fratele Edis Fengeu, Dumnezeu să ne binecuvinteze.
Iisus eu mă încred în Tine Iisus ție ți-a parțit Pentru Tine eu trăiesc Pentru prima dăruiesc Cu tot ce
Picioare, aș vrea să înalțe rugăciunea înaintea lui Dumnezeu. Tată Sfânt, vreau să vin înaintea Ta, Doamne, în dimineața aceasta și să cer o, Doamne, ca puterea Ta divină și puterea Duhului Tău Sfânt, o Iisuse, să continuă să fie peste noi. Doamne, sunt foarte multe cauze, unele care s-au menționat, altele care nu s-au menționat, dar nu există vreo singură cauză, Doamne, să nu știi Tu de ea. Și cerem o Iisusă prin puterea Ta divină, ca fiecare cauză, să pui Tu, Doamne, atingerea Ta acolo. Yes. Stăm înaintea Ta, Doamne, de multe ori, Iisuse, avem idei, avem priceperi, avem tot felul de lucruri și de, de, de aplicații, Doamne, care credem că este bine, dar, Doamne, pe lângă toate, Iisuse, vrem să le predăm înaintea Ta, yes. să punem toate ideile noastre, toate dorințele noastre la picioarele Tale yes. și să zicem, Doamne, voia Ta să se facă Amen. în viețile noastre. Ajută-ne, o Doamne, să ne lăsăm călăuziți de Duhul Tău Sfânt și să punem, Doamne, orice alt lucru deoparte și să stăm în acest loc, apropiindu-ne, Doamne, de Tine. În numele Lui Iisus Hristos ne-am rugat. Amin. Amen. Vă invit cu respect să ocupați locurile. Good morning and God bless you, church family. It's good to be together this morning. Pastor, welcome home. It's good to have you back in Sacramento. In these turbulent times, you never know how plane flights are going to go and trips that you have to take, and I'm just always happy to see whenever people travel well. This morning, I'm going to be teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a second part in a series that I teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Several months ago, I taught on the first part where we spoke in depth about a biblical perspective of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. 
what it looks like. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're speaking in tongues as one of the gifts, the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we had looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, the five different examples in Acts where three identifies that they were baptized and they spoke in tongues, and two, it doesn't identify one way or another. We had also looked at uh, uh, speaking in tongues for self-edification, as it is um, uh, laid out very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And what I'd like to look at today is the second part of that conversation is where I felt led by the Lord as I was preparing this message and kind of going over it and, 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 and revamping it and repraying through everything. And so what I'd like to look at today is I'd like to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but baptism of the Holy Spirit for life today. See, we're Christians, but we're not just any kind of Christians. We're Pentecostals. We're what's referred to often as Wesleyan Pentecostals. We're Pentecostals in the, the heritage and in the tradition of John Wesley out of England. And that's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. We're, we're Pentecostals that not just believe the Scripture, but we want to actually experience the scripture. And I think that's a wonderful heritage that we have. It's a wonderful heritage that we'll leave to our children and, and to our children's children and for generations to come to have a gospel, not just that we know, not just that we memorize, but that we live daily. And part of being Pentecostal is living out the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just seeking it, not just receiving it, but living it out. And that's really what I want to look at. I want to look at today. I actually want to look at those three specific points. How do we seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And how do we live with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The evidence is speaking in tongues. How does this make practical application for me and you today? I understand the church world. I understand Stutterinsa, you might say. I, I understand altar calls, Eddie. But how, do, how does the altar call and Stutterinsa and speaking in tongues, how does that apply to my nine-to-five laying tile? And this is the bridge that I think that we need to talk about today. And so the Holy Spirit baptism, what, what it is by definition is it is an equipping with power. It is an equipping with power for the purpose of witnessing and for the purpose of living as a Christian. To be empowered to live and empowered to witness. And I want to look at two verses that help unpack that. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in the ESV, whoever is doing projection today, God bless you and give you strength. Because I have like 70 verses we're going to go through and we're going to have a great time doing this together. <laughs> so uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in the ESV, it says, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, right? He says, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it says that you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you for what? To be my witnesses. And so there is purpose in the receiving of the power. And then sure enough, in the very next chapter, that's when Pentecost happens and, and the Holy Spirit descends and, and you know, tongues of fire are upon the 120 in the upper room and they began to speak in tongues for the first time in recorded human history. And so it is, it, is, it is a powerful moment. But here Jesus is giving an explanation about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit's purpose is for. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? So that you will be my witnesses. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a receiving of power for the purpose of being a witness. But what does it mean to be a witness? See, in church we use that word a lot and it's very Christianese, isn't it? Oh, you know, I was just witnessing to a brother over there. And, and it's like, well, it, it kind of in general means like, you know, telling somebody about Jesus. The best way that I can define being a witness is, have you ever witnessed a car accident? And a police officer comes and says, tell me, what did you experience? Well, I was in the car and there was a guy in front of me and then another guy ran a red light and he hit him in his door and that's what I saw. Here's the best way to be a witness. To just share your personal experience with Jesus. We call that your testimony. 
And sometimes we like to really fancy it up and to go, well, you know, I was, I was there, you know, and I was in my car, you know, and the AC was going, you know, and I was just in this mood and I was in this moment. Don't fancy it up. Just tell people what happened. You understand? I, I was talking with, with, a, with a man one day and he was saying, you know, I just have a hard time believing. Um, actually, this is very recent. Uh, he was telling me, you know, I have a hard time believing in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and the nine gifts of the spirit that they're still available today. And I go, you know, man, we had a, a really long dialogue about it. Um, we had a long dialogue about it a, a little over a year and a half ago. And then I caught up with him about three days ago. And we had a long dialogue then as well. And part of that conversation was he, he was coming around um, just because of all the different books and sermons uh, he was listening to and books he was reading. But he said, you know, in, in, in our conversation, he goes, you know, from a logical perspective, I'm just having a hard time kind of stepping over that, that boundary into the unknown. Because he's one of the most knowledgeable people that I know for his age. Incredibly knowledgeable. But he was saying, out of all of the knowledge that I'm receiving, I'm starting to be more and more open to it. And my response to him was, look, we can sit here and we can split feet with the pud and shasa, like we say in, in Romanian, right? We can sit here and we can really parse out the text and look at the Greek and the Hebrew and everything else. But at the end of the day, for me, for Eddie's friend Joe, I can't deny what I've experienced. And what I can tell you is the experiences that I've had with God. And at the end of the day, if you love God, then you have to be a lover of truth. You have to be able to be brutally honest with yourself. And I can't deny what happened to me. And I can't deny the prophetic words that I've heard in my childhood and, and, and in my teenage years and in my adulthood. Prophetic words that I've heard that I've seen come true. I can't deny those things. And so when it comes to bearing witness, all I can say is, look, I'm not exactly sure how it all fits together, but I'll tell you what I saw. I saw a man say that this would happen and three days later that happened. And I don't know how to, how to explain that to you, but I know what I experienced. And that's what it means to bear witness. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers you to bear witness in a way that is powerful, that is beyond just my ability or my talent, but it is Holy Spirit transformation that takes place. The second thing that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second purpose that the empowerment through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second purpose that is there is for the ability to live with power. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 in the ESV, it says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Speaking in tongues is useful for building up yourself. Did you know that? When I pray in tongues, there is something that is happening supernaturally inside of me for my building up. And it's important not just to know that, but as Pentecostals to practice that. And we'll get to that. Speaking in tongues is also useful for the building up of yourself. So what does it mean to build yourself up? When you need guidance, encouragement, supernatural breakthrough, growth in your spirit, growth in your relationship, in your journey with God, you pray in tongues. Why? Because it builds you up. The, the concern that I have as Pentecostals is that sometimes we, we, I, we will have a group of, of people within the Pentecostal church that will have a hard time, you know, believing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, either that it exists or that it's for everyone. Or, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they say, well, you know what, I know that it's for everyone, you know, but I just feel like I'm past that age where I should have been baptized. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not really in a place or I don't know why and I keep on trying. And, and we'll kind of fall into this category of not getting baptized. The majority will fall into a category of getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the concern that I have is that we don't make it into the third category. 
which is where we're practicing Pentecostals. Where we're, 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 I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I practice speaking in tongues and praying and drawing near to the Lord. And my concern is, is are we making it to the third category where we're actually practicing what it means to be a Pentecostal? Because if we're not, listen carefully. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, and you will receive power. If you are not practicing as a Pentecostal, you have the ability to receive power, yet we're not exercising in it. Think about that. You have the ability to pray, but what would your life look like if you didn't pray? You have the ability to attend church, but what would your Christian life look like if you didn't attend church? You have the the ability to fast and to really focus in and draw near on the Lord, but what would your Christian life look like if you never fasted? You have the ability to understand and read the Word of God, but what would your life look like if you never read it? And yet we have the ability to speak in tongues, in heavenly tongues, for the empowerment to witness and the empowerment to grow and to build ourselves up. Yet what does our lives look like? It would be a gospel that is known, but empty and devoid of power. I'm I'm, I'm a Christian just like all of you guys, and I need more power in my life. You know, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 2, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Scripture teaches us, That God is the one who both gives the will and the power to do. He gives us the will to do something, but he also gives us the power to do it. How many times have you known that you know what to do, but you don't have the power to do it? Or you feel like, man, I just just wish I had more drive to do it. This is what being a Pentecostal is about. It gives you that drive for breakthrough. So let's look at the, the three different areas that we had talked about, right? About seeking, about receiving, and about living in power. So how how do we... How do we seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you're not baptized or, or, or you know, you're afraid that, you know, I, I was baptized once when I was a kid and, you know, it's been, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever. How do we seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I want to look at scripture because there's a lot of opinions, but I'm really curious what the word of God has to say. And so how do we seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There is preparation that is in order whenever you're seeking or petitioning for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, at the end of October, every year, we have a week where we spend time together. Sometimes it extends to a week and a half, two weeks, sometimes longer, where we're petitioning for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called Starinsa. And all of you young people and everybody in the church, we're all aware of it. And we go and we pray and we pack the house and we pray heaven down as the Christianese terminology that we talk about until you get breakthrough. And then that's where a lot of people get baptized. This is a great time between now and then to prepare. You got two months. It's a great amount of time to prepare your heart spiritually to say, God, I really want to get in your presence. Does it have to be then? No. Can it be before? Can it be after? Absolutely. But I'm just saying, if we have an opportunity coming up, why not prepare for it? But there's a time of preparation. Yeah, there's preparation that is in order. For example, you have to be a Christian and you have to be saved. That's, that's a pretty clear preparation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for the lost, it's for the saved. If it happened, because some people will argue that, you know what, well, you know, you get baptized when you get, when, you get, uh, uh, when you get saved. Then why is it that Jesus would address the Christians saying that you will receive power? Were the disciples not saved? Of course they were. And he says, you will receive power. And we can look at different verses in Acts, right, where, where uh, they had heard that um, the gospel had gone out to a different area. And then they went to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And they said, we didn't even hear about it, but they were saved. And then they prayed for him and they received the Holy Spirit. And so, so there's a prerequisite, a preparation. <coughs> Excuse me. A prerequisite and a preparation. If there was no requirement for baptism of the Holy Spirit, then wouldn't you receive it upon salvation? But we don't. So some of the things that need to happen... Number one, confession. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 in the ESV, 
First John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Pause right there for a second. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. What it's referencing there is if you're living in open sin, you're saying, you know what? I have fellowship with God, but I'm also living in sin. John here is saying, he's saying, you're lying. Either, Either you're deceiving people around you or you've been deceived to think that you're having fellowship with God. But we cannot mix light and darkness. I'm going to go back to the verse. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There is a requirement for fellowship with God and it is to walk in the light. It is to walk in the light. We cannot be living in open sin and have fellowship with the Lord. Those two things don't mix. If you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can't be living in open sin while we're seeking this. Those two things will never mix. In order to walk in the light, confession is required. The purpose of confession is to take ownership of our sins, to understand that I committed these acts and that I deserve rightly punishment, but that Jesus paid for them on my behalf. We confess to God in prayer. Confession is, is, is a crucial point. It is, it is at the crux of our salvation. It is also a crucial point in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes confession requires public, not public, but uh, personal confession to another person. Some sins need confession to other believers, typically to stronger believers, such as spiritual leaders in the church, things of that nature. James chapter 5, verse 16 in the ESV, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Not every sin needs confessing, but if there is a sin that you are having a hard time dealing with, before, before uh, at the end of catechism, at the end of a, a catecheza, right, or, or you know, new believer classes or pre-baptism classes, whatever you want to call them, right, uh, at the end of it, we have a time of confession where the candidates can sit there and unburden themselves of a sin or, or a different thing that they're having a really hard time working through. Uh, during Staruinsa, oftentimes we'll have people pull aside a minister, you know, me, pastor, pastor Nello, pastor Nello, pastor Samoshi, and, and pull us aside or, or, or uh, uh, um, brother Aline, you know, pull us aside and, and we'll have a conversation and they'll share something that they're burdened about and we'll pray through it with them and then they'll go back into the room and God will baptize them. It's happened oftentimes. We can all testify of that. And so the reality is that sometimes there are some sins that you're just having a grievous time getting over because of the, the weight of them. And so in public confession, not in public, in, in private confession, but to another person, we're able to pray together and get breakthrough. So confession is definitely a part of, of seeking. After confession is repentance. To repent means to turn away. Like I used to live in sin and now I've repented and I no longer live in sin. I used to gossip about my brothers and my sisters, but I felt convicted and so I've repented of it. I've turned away from gossiping and I no longer gossip. I used to, you know, look at things that were that were un-Christian, and I wouldn't protect my eyes, and I've repented of that. I've turned away from that. There's a turning away that happens with repentance. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20a, it says in the ESV, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God will not baptize someone who is living in open sin, and so you must confess your sin, and then you must repent of it. 
Some people make the mistake of not doing both of these. See, often I'll, 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 bump, into, I'll bump into conversations that we have and not so long ago, I was meeting with a young man and he was sharing with me how he had confessed his sin. He had confessed it to me. We were sitting there and he was talking to me about it. And he says, you know, I owned my sin. I, I, I accepted that this is my sin. I committed an act of sin against God. That the price that Jesus paid on the cross, part of that price was what I did yesterday. And we were having this conversation. Actually, it wasn't yesterday. It was several months back. But he couldn't move past it. He said, I know that God forgave me. And that God healed me, but I just, can't, I just can't let it go. I can't get past it. And the problem there is this. Is that if we're ever going to have growth in our life, number one, we have to own the sin. But then number two, you have to let it go and you have to give it to God. Sometimes we find ourselves more righteous than God. Or we try to make ourselves to be. We'll fall into one of two categories. Either we won't weigh the weight of sin and we'll say, you know what? It's, everything's under the blood of Jesus, so it doesn't really matter. It's fine. Or we'll fall into the opposite extreme where we think that, you know what, I need to make penance for my sin. I need to feel bad enough. I need to work enough. I need to give to the church enough. I need to serve in the church enough. And maybe then my guilt will go away. And that's how I'll know that God forgave me. It is not by my effort that God forgives me. It is by his grace. It is by his grace that we are forgiven. And how is it that I know that? It is not by the removal of a feeling. It's by faith. I believe that God's word teaches me that if I confess my sins, he is righteous and just to forgive me of my sins. And so we have to accept that forgiveness and move past it. We have to take ownership and then we have to move past it by accepting that forgiveness. That ultimately creates two things in us. Whenever we're able to surrender it to God and to say, God, I trust you that you've forgiven me and I'm going to move past it. It creates a genuine thankfulness and worship to God. And secondly, it creates a dependence on him. If your effort and your work takes away your guilt then you will not be dependent on Christ. You will be dependent on working and on making effort and on giving. When our dependence really needs to be on Christ. God help us. The third thing that, that we have to do as we're seeking is make restitution. Not in all cases, but in many cases. In Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10 in the ESV, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into your house, since he, he, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Zacchaeus made restitution, it was on that day that salvation entered into his home. He repented and he made restitution. So he had already taken ownership about defrauding. He had repented of defrauding. And he was saying, I want to make restitution for the defrauding. I will return fourfold. It's important to know that there are some things in the past that God wants us to make restitution for. If you're spending time in prayer and you're going, God, I want to draw closer to you and God keeps on bringing up something that you need to make right, listen to me. You got to make it right. Sometimes it might be incredibly uncomfortable. In fact, most times it will be horrendously uncomfortable. But the point is, is do you trust God or not? And if you trust him and God keeps on bringing it up and you go, Oh, man, it's going to be a really difficult phone call. All right, I'm going to call, and I'm going to ask somebody to forgive me because of something that I did or something that I said or somebody who's mad at me. I need to call them, and I need to apologize. And you might want to go through a thousand things in your head about going, you know what, God, it wasn't even my fault. It was their fault. They were out of line because of A, B, C, and D. But if the Holy Spirit's convicting you when you're praying, right, we might take ownership. We might even repent. But sometimes we have to make restitution. Be underst understand something. Sometimes you won't be able to make restitution. Sometimes it just won't be possible. 
Sometimes, sometimes you know, you'll, you'll do your bit to say, hey, listen, I want to apologize. I was out of line. And the other person might say, you know what? I don't forgive you. Forget it. Don't talk to me again. You've done your part. Your job isn't to change the other person. Your job and my job as Christians is to be obedient to the Lord. It's God's job to change people. My job is to love people and to be obedient to God. Isn't that true? Our job is to love people and to be obedient to the Lord. And so sometimes we think, you know what, God, I'm trying to make restitution, but they didn't change, so therefore my restitution isn't complete. Oh, no, 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 your job is obedience. And so often, whenever we're seeking, not just the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but also growing in Christ, we have to take ownership. We have to make repentance. We have to repent, and then we have to make restitution. So that's, that's in, the, in the seeking category. But then how do we receive according to Scripture? I'm going I'm to touch lightly on a couple of these because I really want to get into how do we live how do we receive? First, by believing. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39 in the ESV, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, it talks about the apostles right after, it talks about the, the Christian community at the time, right after Pentecost. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So you can't pursue something that you don't believe is for you. And we might believe in the, if you don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit still being something that is present and, and, and um, relevant to today, then you're not going to be able to pursue it. But you might believe it and you might not think that, you know, you might think that there's some sort of an exception for you. It surprises me how often I meet people that go, well, you know, I know the baptism of the Holy Spirit's real, and I know that God baptizes people, but, you know, for me, I, I don't feel like it's, it's for me. I feel like, and then they list off some exception to the rule. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that God desires for all Christians. He desires it for all Christians. It's available for all Christians, and there's no exception to the rule. It's not like God desires it for everybody, but for Eddie, he's like, mm, you know, you've still got some things, and I don't really have a calling, and you know, it's more just for ministers. It's not true. I mean, listen to the verse. I'll read it again. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, and Peter said to them, now this is to a congregation of people that had gathered together because Pentecost had happened that didn't know Jesus. How do we know that they're not Christians? Because he tells them to repent of their sins. Look, I'll read it. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who? Just a couple of you who have special callings in your life. All of them. It wasn't just a couple of people. It was for everyone. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children. Whose children? Everybody's child's called? Yeah, everybody. Right? It's like, well, it's, it's, it's for you and for your child. Or it's not for you, but it's just for your grandkid. There's no specification of that in here. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So, so not only do we have to believe, but we have to act on it. James chapter 2, verse 17 in the ESV. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You cannot simply have faith for it. You have to pursue it. Because faith without works is dead. So I can believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can believe in the gift of speaking in tongues. But if I'm not actively pursuing it through works, then it's a dead faith. It's not enough to just know about it. it we have to have a pursuit. And sometimes we might think that, you know, we have to fit within a certain model. Well, if I pursue it, then that means it's got to look like this. We're going to look at different ways that we can receive right now. It doesn't have to fit into a specific model or a method. And I'll explain 
So first, believing. Secondly, by praying and speaking as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in the New King James, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It's a normal part of a Christian's life to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. If the majority of the time that you pray as a Christian only happens in this building, I would challenge you to go deeper in your relationship with God. We should be praying a lot more than we just pray at church. In our homes, you should be praying. we should be praying in our cars. We should be praying at the foot of our bed every night. We should be praying in our homes with our kids. We should be praying before we eat. We should be praying and being aware of the Holy Spirit's presence at all times. Why? Because that's what it means to live in fellowship and in communion with Christ. That's what it means to be Christians. It's not because of the club that we attend, because this isn't a club, is it? No, it's the body and the bride of Christ. And so we make part of something that transcends this building and a preacher preaching at this pulpit. We, we are a part of something which is the Holy Spirit living within us 24-7. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 4, 2, 3 and 4 in the ESV, it says, And suddenly there came, this is when Pentecost happened, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Verse 4, this is such an important verse. For, I, I, I sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit for three years, and I was incredibly discouraged when I was not baptized because I didn't understand this verse. And then after that, I gave up for four. For seven years since I started seeking it, and until I was baptized, I had this journey that I went on until somebody, Pastor Lazar Gog, explained this verse to me, and it just made sense. I always waited for the Holy Spirit to take possession and do what he does through me. That's not what the verse says. I'm going to read it. Verse 4. So the 120 are in the upper room. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And they, the 120, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Look at the verse. It says, And they, the 120 in the upper room, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Who spoke? They did. I thought that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. But look at the verse. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Who spoke? And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I was always on the precipice for three years of getting baptized the Holy Spirit when I was much younger. I was on the precipice of it. And I would feel like God was giving me things to say, but I wouldn't say them because I was waiting for him to take over because I had a misunderstanding of the verse. But the reality is, is it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So who does the speaking? I speak what? What the Spirit gives me. How? By faith. By faith. That's how that happens. So by praying and by speaking as the Holy Spirit gives utterance, that's how we receive. They began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. Another way is by asking. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 12, and 13, I'm reading the NKGV. You guys are going to see it in the ESV. But Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 12, and 13, the physician, the disciple Luke, he says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or, or, or if he asks for an egg, verse 12, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how do you think that this is going to conclude? How much more will your heavenly father know to give good gifts? Listen to the verb, verb to, the, to the words that they chose. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? It's very specific. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
The, the compare and contrast, the, 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 the uh, rhetorical mechanism that he uses would make me believe that he would say that if you know how to give good gifts being evil, how much more does your heavenly father know to give good gifts? But he doesn't say good gifts. He says the Holy Spirit. And it's so important to be able to take away from that to understand that so many of us don't have because we don't ask. That oftentimes we don't have a deeper relationship with God because I'm not really asking for a deeper relationship with God. And here it's saying, if you being a father who is, who is in sin and wicked and in your flesh know how to give good gifts to your children who are in the flesh, how much more does God who is not in the flesh know to give what? The Holy Spirit to those of us who ask. And so another way that we receive is by asking. Another way is at Bible study. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a specific verse due to the interest of time in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. Peter had received a vision from God to go to Cornelius's house and to go and minister the message. And so he took his entourage with him and they went there and they had began speaking to him, to, to the congregation that was gathered there in Cornelius's house about, about, you know, about the Lord. And he was, just, he was just ministering to them and he was preaching a sermon. And in the middle of that is where we pick this up. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 46. While Peter was still saying these things, he's preaching to them. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, meaning the Jews that had come with Peter, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How do we know that? Next verse. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's how, that's how the Jews that came with Peter knew that the Gentiles were baptized because they heard them speaking in tongues. It's, it's important to, to catch that. Steruinza is a great place to get baptized the Holy Spirit. I, 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 uh, a youth camp, the summit, great place. A lot of people get altar calls, great place. Does it mean that it has to be there? No, Cornelius, his, house, his entire household, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. They all began speaking in tongues in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of service right now. Somebody could be baptized the Holy Spirit. God, let it be, all right? I remember I went, I, you, know where, you know where I was baptized finally after seven years? I was outside of a tent at Tabara Nacional in Munsi Armenish, like near Timishara, and the service had ended, the altar call was done, and we were walking from the tent back towards that, and I was having a conversation with somebody, and I just started speaking in tongues. You understand? Sometimes we get so hung up on a model. What I want you to understand is that God is not limited by our models. If we're available and we're open and we've confessed and, and, and we've repented and we've made restitution, we are at peace with God. There is nothing holding us back other than our own selves oftentimes, our own doubt and our own discouragement from being able to ask and God how much more freely he would happily give to those of us who would ask. And so we, we don't have to be stuck in a model or a thing or, 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 or any other situation. If we're in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit lives within us, then of course he not only desires and, and is willing to, but will baptize us. God help us yes. to be able to have the depth of that kind of relationship. Lastly, how do we live? How do we grow by the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do we live in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Number one, by putting it into practice. I know that sounds silly. But how often do we know things that we just don't put into practice? Listen, you don't have to have a PhD in theology to speak in tongues. You don't, you, it's not just for, for pastor and, and the ordained ministers. I mean, listen how silly that is. I need to go and get an education from another person about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit resides in me. I need to go talk to somebody else to educate me or to teach me or to train me 
how to live deeply with the very spirit that lives in me. That's like, that's like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe that. I, I have certain foods that I can't eat and I'm going to go and I'm going to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know me at all and please explain to me about what I can and cannot eat. You understand? Like it's, it's, it's a wild concept. And don't get me wrong, I think it's good to study and I think it's good to grow. But I think that oftentimes we're hindered. We're hindered from practicing speaking in tongues and, and, and pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and exercising speaking in tongues because we're waiting for something else to happen. And I would just encourage you to put it into practice. If you are saved, if you are saved and you want to, you know, talk to God, what do you do? You keep praying, right? You keep on talking to God. If you want to draw closer to God, you keep fasting. If you need wisdom and understanding, you keep reading the Bible. If you want to be in God's presence, you keep meditating on the word of God day and night. And if you're baptized, keep speaking in tongues. We have to keep pursuing speaking in tongues. Another way that we live is to pray in tongues to build yourself up. I already read 1 Corinthians 14, 4, right? Where it says the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Are you weak somewhere in your walk with God? Pray about it in tongues. That's what I do. I spend a lot of time praying in tongues. I spend a lot of time praying in tongues. Why? Because there are things that I don't know. I don't even know what I struggle with. Oftentimes, I don't even know what my problem is, but I know there's a problem somewhere. And I'll get on my knees and I'll pray and I'll spend time with God and I'll just start praying in tongues. Uh, sometimes I'm under spiritual attack. As I'm preparing sermons, all the time I'm under spiritual attack. And what do I do? I go into my room, I go into my office, and I start praying in tongues, and I just feel God's peace come over me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit intercedes on my behalf for things that I don't even know how I ought to pray or what I ought to pray for. And so I'm just praying in tongues, and the Holy Spirit intercedes on my behalf, and God comes in and makes a change, and I just feel His peace come over me. And I can't describe it, I can't explain it, but I can't deny my experience. There's a great saying that I heard when I first became a Christian just shy of 20 years ago. And I've always had a problem with it until recently, this saying. I, I, it always, like, I kind of agreed with it, but I kind of hated it. Because uh, it could be so misinterpreted. And the saying was, it's not scripture, it's just the saying. But somebody said it to me once, right when I got saved in 2001. And they said, you know, Eddie, God helps those who help themselves. And I was like, I don't know if I like that. Like, I kind of get it, but I kind of hate it. And, and here's, here's why I like it, and here's why I don't. If you interpret it as... God helps those who help themselves, meaning help yourself to whatever you want. And if you can get it, then it's God blessing you. That's a misinterpretation. That is not incongruent with scripture. But if you understand this, that God comes alongside of us to guide us, to lead us, to bless us. God comes alongside of us. You know, in the last 15 years of mentoring, I've learned something very, very specific. Sometimes I'll have young people and they'll say, Eddie, can we start a mentoring relationship uh, I, I just recently started a mentoring relationship with a young man out of Chicago. Great guy. A lot of potential. And I just have to make something clear to him. I said, look, what's really important for me that you understand is that a mentoring relationship is I'm going to come alongside of you as, as a spiritual big brother to try to help and to assist. Obviously, God is the one who's going to be doing all of the transformative work in your life. But what I need you to understand is I can't carry you through life like a backpack. You have to do the work. I can help you, but I can't do it for you. And in that same saying, God helps those who helps themselves, that's what, what I understand out of it clearly now. Oftentimes we'll sit there and we'll go, God, woe is me. Could you please change something in my life? And God goes, yeah, absolutely. I want you to start praying, fasting, reading the word, and going to the church. And I want you to start moving in a direction. And I'm going to come alongside of you, and I'm going to help you grow. 
And we go, no, no, I don't want to do anything. I just want to go on autopilot and you carry me through life like a backpack. It doesn't work that way. And so speaking in tongues is the same way. If I just sit here and I go, well, you know, I, I hope that, you know, now that I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, that something comes out of it. What would come out of your, your relationship with Jesus if you don't pray? What would come out of your prayer life? Nothing. So why do we think something will come out of speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we're not exercising it? And so as we exercise it, as we practice it, God comes alongside. And that's incredibly important for us as Christians and as Pentecostals. Praying in tongues to build yourself up. Praying in tongues to glorify God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46, in the NIV, it says, For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God or extolling God in the ESV. You can praise the Lord when you're speaking in tongues. I spend a lot of time when I'm speaking in tongues just thinking of God and about how good he is and about how good he's been to my family and about how gracious and patient he's been, about how many times that I haven't been patient with other people and yet in the same scenario, God's been patient with me and I'll just praise him as I'm speaking in tongues. I just feel his presence fill the room and it's such a tremendous experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Pray in tongues to glorify God. This is how we, how we live out Pentecostalism, right? Pray in tongues for supernatural intercession. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Sometimes when Samid and I are praying on our, on our fasting days, we'll sit there and we'll pray, and somebody will pop into our heads, and I'll go, you know what? I just, I just feel like God's impressing so-and-so upon my mind. I don't know what he has going on, but let's just pray for him. And we'll sit there, and we'll just pray for him about, you know, whatever it is that we do know, and then we'll pray in tongues for whatever it is that we don't know. And we just intercede until we feel peace, until God says, okay, good, you're not going to pray about this anymore. You've interceded. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to be involved in that way somehow. And sometimes we get to sit on the sidelines and hear about a testimony some months later about somebody saying, you know, I was going through a hard time. And I go, Simeon, weren't we praying for them during that time? That's how the Holy Spirit works. Praying tongues for spiritual renewal. And that's the last one. In Isaiah, of all places, before Pentecost, in Isaiah the most referenced book in all of the Bible uh, in the New Testament. The New Testament references Isaiah more than any other place. Actually, the whole scripture does. In Isaiah, in chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, listen to what it is that Isaiah is penning that the Lord is giving him to write. He says, For with stammering lips and another tongue, I'm reading in the New King James, For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Stammering lips, speaking in another tongue. Yeah, that sounds like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues to me. And there's a time of refreshing. Sometimes, look, I'll be honest with you, I am so tired sometimes. Sometimes I am so spiritually exhausted Sometimes like, for anything. And what I'll do is I'll get on my knees and I'll pray. And those are the times that I go, God, I don't even want to, but I wish I did. I wish I had this drive to pray. I don't even feel like praying, but I want to want to pray. And I'll just be completely transparent and sincere in my heart before the Lord. And I'll pray in tongues and God will give me such rest. He'll give me such rest. He'll give me such rejuvenation. You ever sleep all night, wake up in the morning, not wake up a single time at night. It's the rare occasion that it happens and you still wake up tired. When I spend time praying in tongues, God renews and refreshes my soul. These are the things that we miss out on as Pentecostals if we're not practicing it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I'm going to just look at verse 7. It says, train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves for godliness. You never grow by accident. It's always intentional. 
And so I just pray that God would help us to exercise as Pentecostals, training ourselves for godliness. That way we can grow in power to witness and in power to live. I love you guys. Amen. Haideți să ne rugăm în concluzie în dimineața aceasta ca Domnul să ne umple cu Duhul Sfânt. Așa cum stăm, ne rugăm, Domnul. Tatăl nostru și Dumnezeu nostru.